Hey folks, Brian here with a special announcement before this special episode of the DC3Cast. So as you can see by the description in your uh, iTunes, wherever you listen to this, we have Scott Snyder on the show. Scott was coming back from a signing at Midtown Comics in Manhattan and was in a car and because he's such a busy guy, he didn't have a lot of other time this week to talk with us, but he spent the entirety of his car ride home talking to us about metal. And it is great. Um, I have to put two sort of caveats out there. The first thing is, if you're really spoiler-reverse, Scott talks about some sort of broad ideas about the series and talks about some specific moments from future uh, issues that if you are completely spoiler-reverse, you might want to avoid them. But I can tell you, I don't think he says anything that takes away from the story. I think he just hints at some things and mentions some cool scenes and some characters that might pop up later on. So I think it's really dope. I think you guys will love it. So I um, wanted to put that out there. And also, because Scott is in a car, there's a couple of times his voice drops out a little bit. I did my best to edit this. It took me two hours to try and get it to uh, a place where it, could, it was more listenable. But there are a few still dropout moments. So my apologies. After we talk with Scott... We talk with, uh, I have a chat with um, Vince and Zach about Metal Number 1. And then an extra special treat at the end of the episode, we have a 10-minute or so chat with Charles Soule. Charles happened to be in the car with Scott for the first part of our conversation. So he passed the phone to Charles and we got uh, we got a little conversation with Charles Soule. So some of it's DC related, some of it's Star Wars related, some of it's curse words related. And, uh, you know, it's all good stuff. So it's a jam-packed extra episode We'll be back on Wednesday with our regular episode, but here is a special metal edition of the DC3Cast. Enjoy. So Scott, uh, our, our first, uh, I guess, official question for you is: We had you on the show last time. It was it was two years ago. It was right after the, uh, I believe it was the week or the week before the first Jim Gordon as Batman story. After the show, and I, I hope we're not going to get uh, you in trouble for saying this. After the show, you hung around with us for about an hour and talked to us about a lot of big picture Batman stuff, and you sort of walked through what would happen with with Bruce and the Joker and all this stuff. And I remember thinking, like, wow. This guy's planning really far in advance here. But now you're telling us that metal has been planned since the very, very beginning. So you gotta come you can tell us we're among friends. Really when did the metal idea first pop in your head? Well, I mean, Charles will vouch for me. I mean, metal's been in the works for a good couple of years, the way that um for me, uh as a kind of basic idea of doing a mystery where Batman would realize that um he was following clues to a detective case that went all the way back to the beginning of human history. That started when I was back all the way towards Endgame and Super Heavy, where I had this idea for sort of his final case, where it would be something that kind of was a, a long diatribe about sort of, you know, um, the, the, the meaning of, what it, of, of exploration and detection and this idea that we're all part of the story that pushes forward and we try and discover answers to these questions that can't be answered every time you find something it just leads you further along um and in that way uh i started thinking about it abstractly i guess back then and then more concretely 
when we were getting about a year out from when Greg was going to leave. So it was around Super Heavy where I really started to nail down the idea of it. And you can see some of the terminology when you get to the next issue, especially uh, Metal 2, um, when the plot becomes more uh, clear, like the scheme, I guess, of the bad guys. Um, you'll see some of the terminology from issues like Batman 49, Batman 50, 51. There's like direct references, direct Easter eggs from those issues into, into Metal. Um, so it was around then that I really concretized, I guess. So it was sort of as a basic nascent idea, I would say it was probably, you know, three, four years ago in terms of the like shape, but I wasn't sure I would do it on main Batman or if I would do it as an event or I would do it as, you know, a standalone graphic novel. And then as we got closer, I realized there was a way to do it within the DCU. So it, it sort of hardened, I guess, and took shape really around, um, really around when, I guess, the last time we talked. Okay. Interesting. Um, one of the reactions that I've seen from uh, the Multiversity staff and friends of mine, and a reaction that, honestly, I got right when I read the issue, was I couldn't believe how much stuff you crammed into this comic. I could not believe how many <laughs> little bits of mythology, stuff going back you know, 50, 60 years, stuff that feels brand new. Every corner of DC mythology seems to be referenced somehow in here. Um how you know when when you started this story did you always know it would be this huge or did the scope kind of evolve as the story evolved yeah i well i once it became clear that it was going to be an event like a dc event um you know i really needed that idea where it was about how do i how do i then make something that fits into in an integrated way and continuity um i knew it was about by the time I, the story kind of formed, when I was doing Super Heavy, I knew it kind of tailed off Hawkman, and that it was going to be a case that Hawkman, as kind of the detective of the past, the DCU, would have passed inadvertently to Batman in the present. Um, so I knew that it had a lot of possibility and sort of deep, deep um, potential, but I didn't know if I'd have access to those things. And then when Rebirth happened, I realized suddenly that um, the tapestry of the DCU was now reconnected so that even though some of the explanation of how the pre-52 continuity is part of 52 continuity is still kind of um, waiting for Doomsday Clock and, and Jeff's, um, Jeff's uh, uh, sort of thesis on it, uh, it's clear that the um, two halves, I guess, or the two sides of that chasm are no longer separate, that it's all one giant continuity. And so once that became clear and I knew that I had um, access to, you know, Starman and Challengers and Metalman and all these toys and pieces of characters and stories that I loved that I hadn't had access to in the 52, it was always about reinventing the 52. Um, I knew I had the story, you know, down and it was going to be about celebrating the, re the sort of um, reconnections that we were making between, um, you know, Rebirth, post-52 and pre 52. So some of them point to things that are coming soon, like Challengers points to Challengers, which I'm doing with a student of mine. Uh, you know, Starman points to some of the stuff, some stuff I can't really get into that probably be in 2018. Um, but other things like the Metal Man and Red Tornado and um, uh, uh, obviously Dream and uh, the, um, the Final Crisis references 
all those things that kind of draw from continuity that are prefixed to um, in big ways, those things have giant story repercussions and connections within metal explanations that sort of, you know, posit them as not just precursors to what's happening in metal, but catalysts. So um, in that way, it really is meant to be a fun celebratory story where we're sort of rejoicing, you know, the fact that all the stuff that was kind of either off limits or off limits unless you were going to wildly reinvent it with the 52 is now sort of reconnected to its um, legacy. That said, it doesn't mean you want to take it and just do kind of nostalgia point and have it be like, oh, look, here are these characters from the past. You don't have new ideas for them. So I'm trying to sort of only integrate characters or, um, you know, elements uh, in the story, into the story that I know I have some kind of narrative for. There's some things like the immortals, you know, um, there's a council of immortals that come in and she's too, include them, like Uncle Sam, um, and Down, which I'm really excited about, like Port Buffet and all the kind of stuff that Kirby has to kind of nuttiness. Um, but those characters have a role within the story itself, but, you know, not a huge, larger role in the but they make sense in the story. So there are all kinds of things like that where it's meant to be sort of a, not just kind of, how much can I cram in, but um, what fits within the parameters of the story and, and sort of is, is you know, is, is important to the story in some ways, but also is important to the message of the story, which is um, we are taking all of the most bonkers and sort of fun, out-of-control storytelling that we loved in comics growing up, especially with event stuff, like everything from Invasion to, you know, Final Crisis, Infinite Crisis, Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know, Jeff's run on talking like just big, over-the-top, crazy storytelling and saying we're going to point to those things to create them and then make something brand new or take to a place either which that's the way those exist for us. So I hope that makes sense in terms of why it's so kind of jam-packed with characters Absolutely. and elements. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, Scott. This is Zach. Um, kind of, you know, you mentioned some of the older stories and stuff that you reference, like Final Crisis and and things like that, which we were all, I think, really excited to to kind of see those references. But thinking about stuff that's maybe been a bit more recent, there was the the Death of Hawkman miniseries by uh, Mark Andreco and Aaron Lepresti. Is um, was that series? Um, part of I guess the plans for metal or is that something that you're going to be referencing or building off of in metal a little bit a little bit I talked to Mark when Mark got that job because I knew I was doing metal at that time and he had already been signed up to do it and once he told me it was going to be guitar and I spoke to Didio to Dan about it and we realized it was kind of guitar and the Ram Thanagar stuff um it wasn't necessarily quite as um I guess tied in because we're really dealing with kind of the Carter Hall incarnation of Hawkman and that's pre-52 because 52 sort of brought back guitar. Right, yeah. Uh, Carter sort of relationship. So those things are still separate where the alien Hawkman 52 is still from uh, Thanagar itself and the Carter version is sort of a reincarnated human version that kind of stopped before the new 52 started. So, um, the Death of Hawkman stuff, as much as I, I like it, and I'm you know uh, a big fan of Mark and, and work with him on Love is Love and all that kind of stuff, um, I, uh, we're not necessarily doing something that we wanted to have to have read it for, just because 
you know, we're trying to do something that's super user friendly. So it, it's a different Hawkman than that. At the same time, Thanagar and Thanagarian mythology is referenced, and we're going to make it confluent with what he did there. So I hope that makes sense in the way that, you know, the sort of the uh, catastrophic things that happened to that mythology, um, you know, with Thanagar and Bran, all the kind of stuff that he did in that series. That stuff is, it stands. We're not going to contradict any of it, but we don't want you to have to feel like you read it. You need to, you need to read it to make sense of what we're doing with Hawkman here. Right. Yeah. I mean, that sounds really cool. And, and if anyone's mythology is kind of overly complicated to begin with, it's definitely Hawkman. So I, I definitely, yeah. Yeah. And I, I give Jeff simple. Lemire a ton of credit. He's doing the Hawkman found issue and he's got uh, great designs for Hawkman in terms of uh, explaining mythology sort of repositioning. Sierra, awesome. the whole the whole kind of mythos gets a bit um, redefined with that issue in a way that makes sense of a lot of stuff that comes between Jeff's run and and now. So it's a it's a big deal. I, I you know I'll be perfectly upfront. I mean I, I thought I pitched Greg on writing and drawing Hawkman as a series when we were on Batman way before we decided we were going to battle. I was like, what do you think about doing something smaller like Hawkman? How brutal. I, I was really in love with the character back then. As you could tell, like my work on American Vampire, which is I love sort of digging up, you know, um, historical or folkloric kind of, you know, uh, toys or stories, and then trying to sort of make them feel real in a spooky way or in a in a way that sort of shows a haunted, hidden history. And Hawkman is so much about that, but in a fun X Files way. You know, I had yeah. this idea of him as being somebody who's been you know, exploring the street late throughout the street about pitch. alien presences. What? Oh, I just said that's a great pitch for, for like a Hawkman anthology book. Oh, yeah. No, I, that's why I, that was my pitch for Hawkman. And some of the stuff that Jeff plans on doing, uh, Lemire, is, is really similar in terms of Hawkman found and so on. So, yeah, we really, we're really excited about um, his role in the DCU going forward. And I have plans for post-metal is doing after when you talk about being you know planning i just had a summit with dc at the end of metal which is you know seven months off and then what we're doing right afterwards so um i know what's happening rolling out of them and i know the um, books the books that'll be spinning out of it because of what happened yeah and also the book i'll be on it's you know assuming nothing goes terribly between now and then. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we're going to talk about a bunch of different pieces of metal, but I think we'd be remiss for our fans if we didn't get into the uh, th- the appearance at the end uh, on the last page of Dream, you know, from Sandman. Uh, this is obviously one of the most iconic DC characters of the last, you know, 50 years and one of the most beloved comic series of all time and one that has, you know, connections to the DCU, but not necessarily, uh, you know, we don't really see the Sandman characters popping up all that often in DC comics. So I know you've talked a little bit about your, uh, your interaction with Neil Gaiman leading into this, but when you first came up with this idea, you know, when you're, you're sitting in your office, wherever, and this idea pops into your head, did you think it would ever happen? Or did you think this, oh, that's, that's a cool idea, but nothing's ever going to come of that. <laughs> No, I didn't have a lot of hope that it would happen, to be perfectly, perfectly frank. I mean, what happened was um, I have um, been lucky enough to get to know Neil over my years at D.C., and I've, I've hung out with him, you know, at 
DC function, but also uh, done a bit of story planning uh, for Vertigo stuff now and then with him. So I, I know him, you know, in the way that I feel comfortable, like, seeing him, if I see him at a party, DC or something going up and saying, hey, how are you doing? How's Mando? What's going on? How's the kid? All of that stuff. But, um, you know, I'm still Neil Gaiman, still hugely intimidated by him and, and hugely, um, you know, it, uh, in awe of him all the time and what he's been able to do story-wise, you know, it, it's so many different mediums. And his, uh, he's also amazing to hang out with. I remember we, I, was at a, I was at a function with him in San Francisco for Vertigo a couple of years ago, and um, it was the first time I got to hang out with him extensively. Like I had met him a few times and hung out with him for an hour here and an hour there. But this was like a, a weekend thing. And so we were hanging out all weekend, and we went to, uh, well, it's like me, him, Becky Cloonan, and uh, Paul Pope. It was, it was just amazing. It was like one of the best weekends of my life in San Francisco. And we went to, um, we went to a restaurant, and we were having dinner, and he was telling a story about how he bought his shoes from a place that was one of the oldest shoemakers in London, and how beneath the store they had all these old casts of feet that they called the lasts. I guess they're called lasts you have like a mold of someone's foot he was like and these they had a whole area that was like the last of the dead and it's like frank sinatra's foot <laughs> yeah like royalty you know and i was wow. like this this could not be a more neil game <laughs> exactly what i had always hoped to hear from him <laughs> you know what i mean about going down to a secret catacomb of shoemakers plaster feet for all the dead people that they made shoes for in the past dating back on years but anyway the point is um neil's amazing and later in the same weekend he saw me all stressed out i was still on batman at the time and uh, you know he was like what's the matter you seem stressed and i was like i don't know i took batman art coming up you know we're ending our thing and i'm nervous and he was just like scott he was like right now you're worried you're not good enough pretty soon you'll worry you used to be better and that's it <laughs> okay, that's a, it. Was a great to hear that somebody that I love and admire, like it just doesn't end. You know, it just feels the same way. It was just an odd comfort, and you know, in that. But anyway, um, so what happened was, uh, that I, I didn't lose you, did I? I'm no, not, like, no, not at all. <laughs> okay, good. I believe me, it's happened before. But the um, the uh, uh, the idea came to me because I was working on it. It was you know well over a year ago. Um, I had to go out there and vet pretty much every beat of it about a year ago. So this was like about a year and a half ago, I guess, when I realized that for me, the multiverse, the thing that the Justice League discovers, exists beneath the multiverse of the kind of vast oceanic um, realm, so this kind of roiling subconscious primal um, area of the cosmology of the DCU, where basically anything you fear, and I don't mean to spoil anything, but anything you kind of fear or hope for, especially the things that you don't realize you're, fearing and hoping for that you dream about or that you have nightmares about those things materialize as actual realities within the dark multiverse in this isotropic kind of fluid molten way um, and once you stop hoping for them or fearing them they disappear they bubble back down when enough people hope or fear uh, hope for something or fear it those things can concretize and make their way up through the world ori and become actual planets within the dark multiverse I mean, within the regular multiverse. But um, the nature of the dark multiverse is such that it really is connected to the dreaming in the way that you, um, you know, the, the more that you, um, 
the more that uh, you know you fear something or 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 uh, have sublimated desires for it, the more it materializes there. And when there's a, a disruption in the dark multiverse in a big way, um, with Arbitos and, and what he's doing by plucking these nightmarish versions of Bruce Wayne out to bring them here to conquer the world, drag it down into the dark. Um, there, the more disrupted the, the dreaming is, the more the, it fills with nightmare. So in that way, um, I pitched this idea to DC, um, and Dan was like, if you feel comfortable, and Jim was like, if you feel comfortable writing Neil, you should write him. Or, you know, we could write him for you. We like it. But, you know, if you want to, and I was like, no, 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 I'd like to do it myself. So I wrote this very long email that was like explaining exactly Dream's role and which issues he'd appear in and how he would appear and how he would speak. It's like, you know, just like really breaking it down to be like, this is exactly how he's going to be if you if you like it. And if you don't, no worries whatsoever. I totally appreciate you taking the time to look at this. And, you know, I didn't even know, you know, I mean, Neil is Neil and he's crazy busy and he's got a million amazing things on his plate. And within, you know, very little time, he wrote back and I was expecting like a back and forth where I would be like, Oh, well, what if you, you know, I may thought maybe he would say, well, I don't want you to use them like that. But if you want him to appear for a moment like this, I would be figuring it out. But instead he wrote back and he goes, I love it. Go for it. That was literally the email. <laughs> like, love it. Go for it. And I was like, yes, just reiterating though. I'm going to, it was like, great, go for it. <laughs> you know, and it's like, how are you so, generous with this character who's so special to me and to so many people you know in this whole mythology daniel and morpheus and all of it like you know i mean but he's great he was just he, literally that was our interaction and then he tweeted the other day um someone was like well how do you feel about this and he was like i trust scott and he tagged me and i was like if i could retweet this without spoiling things because it was pre-wednesday okay. i was like this is going on my <laughs> oh wow so I can't say enough good things about Neil Gaiman. He is incredibly um, generous and courageous and also inspirational in terms of um, not just his generosity with characters, but like I was telling you, the advice he gives writers, you know, and the way he treats people coming up um, after him and the um, attention he pays to craft with them and the way I've seen him mentor people coming up after him, all of it. He's just, he's like Stephen King. I mean, I've, I've gotten, I've been lucky enough to work with him too. And it's the same, just generosity of spirit. And, you know, I hope to aspire to a fraction of that, you know, teaching and all that kind of stuff. It's that idea of wanting to be able to, um, you know, uh, yeah, just aspire to be as good as the people that you look up to that turn out, you know, the opposite of that, don't your idols manage. Yeah. So when when you go to DC with this and and you tell them I'm going to use, you know, the dream of the endless, um, are are they how how cautious are they about you going forward with that, or does this kind of fold into their whole? Uh, you know, well, we're doing the Watchmen thing. We're doing some stuff with Young Animal crossing over. Is this did they see it as just part of a bigger picture that goes beyond metal itself? Is it almost like a, like a happy coincidence as far as a, a universe building type element for what they see in rebirth or, or were they like, well, you know, let's, let's tread lightly. 
No, they were really just left it between me and Neil. You know, they were great. I mean, they were like, look, Dan and Jim both were like, if you write Neil and Neil says yes, it's yours. You, you can do what you want with Neil and we'll stay out of it. So I nice. was like, okay. And then I remember getting that email from Neil. I called everybody. Like I called like Tynan and Williamson, like all the friends at DC. I was like, you'll never believe it. Look, 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 look. You know, I was so <laughs> excited. It really was like, you know, just kid joy. Um, and, you know, I mean, so, you know, and then came the anxiety about like wanting to do right something everything you said you're going to do so you know i'm betting everything i've offered with neil like do you want to read it ahead of time and he's always like the same thing where he's like just go for it you know and i send it just in case I'm like here here you go you know but um he's terrific so i mean it really comes down to um you know dc was great with me and he's been great with me about just saying um you know it, it, like he knows i'm not going to have dreams pick up an uzi and like mow people down you know? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like the dreams of us. <laughs> there's no, there's no, there's nothing I'm trying to do that's shocking with that. You know, if if anything, it really is. He was the character that made the most sense when it came to who would be the most disrupted by the dark multiverse becoming volatile and unstable and invading the multiverse. He would be the, the Greek chorus, the person that comes and says, "You need to watch out." You know, what I mean? like this is happening. Man. Yeah. Um it it may it seems like happy coincidence if if this is the same dream, you know, that that we see at the end of of Sandman that if if is Daniel Hall who is the great the grandson right, of Cardinal Hall. Of, right. Exactly. I assume that's yeah, intentional it, or meaningful. It is. It, it no it very it is, you know, and I was always sort of fascinated by the whole or all of it like all of that stuff you know and dr fate like all that stuff is connected here so yes there will be nods to all of that awesome yeah it seems like yeah you know what's what's so interesting scott is you know your first real dc work happened right before the new 52 right your detective comic stuff happened right at the end of the old continuity and then your your ascension into this, you know, you're one of the the four or five writers that people associate with modern DC. You know, you were you came up in this era where continuity was held much more tightly, and now this book seems like the reaction against that. Like for all these years, I had to do small, like self-contained, you know, uh, reinventions, and now I'm going to go buck wild. So, how does it feel to have this totally different type of story to be able to be writing now? after years of doing, like you said, the reinvention thing, how does it feel to be able to just bring it all together? Is it, is it, is it, uh, does it relax you in a way that you don't have, your parameters aren't so tight or do you feel like, holy yeah, shit, I have, <laughs> I have everything on my, on my table now. It's a little bit of both. I mean, it's a great question. And, and what it really is, is, I mean, it was a very, it was a very difficult process with 52 knowing what to do because when I started on Batman I mean I was kind of horrified by the idea that his origin could be changed or that he was only 25 and all that stuff was not stuff that I had signed up for when I signed up to do Batman I went from the you know decoration continuity which you know you can see me playing with Batman Inc I mean I was I love integrating so it was like you know all that stuff was integrated to Grant's run um, 
And then all of a sudden it was like, no, we're asking you to rewrite Batman from scratch, you know? And you can see one of the things that I tried to do in Batman number one was like reassure fans that the relationships between Bruce Wayne and his family were still what they were. You saw Damien, you saw the whole family standing together in tuxedos. All the villains were still there. I was like, look, all the villains are here. And here's James Jr. just to show you that like my pre-52 stuff as a nod to that says pre-52 still exists. In Swamp Thing, I had Superman come to Swamp Thing and say, I died once before, and I know what it's like, even though I got in trouble a little bit for that. Like, there was <laughs> there was a lot of effort, I think, on a lot of our parts to show that even though it was supposed to be a reboot, the things that we love were still there. And then the further we got into the 52, the more that stuff got swept away, where it became clear to me that, look, there wasn't a way to keep year one as the origin anymore, or... or um, you know, long Halloween as, as, you know, year two, because ultimately um, Jim uh, Jim Gordon's origin changed, so it's Lena Kyle's, and so they fit year one the same. And all of this stuff had, had just gone in different directions. So instead of clinging to it, Zero Year is my favorite story um, that we did on Batman, because it was the moment that I said to myself, on Grant's advice, honestly, I'm just going to lean into this and just say, look, I love Batman dearly. I love all these stories that came before, but I'm going to do one to my kids. It says, if I have to do an origin, because DC was pressuring myself to do something that show that what Batman's origin was to, to sort of sever it from the tree. Um, how do I do something that's wildly my own, different, me and Greg, um, showing what Batman's brave um, in the face of that speaks to the terrors that my kids have, gun violence, you know, resource depletion, post apocalyptic fears, and all that kind of stuff, plague and blackouts. And so I tried to throw all that into zero year and have comic book stands in, stand-ins for it, the Red Hood Gang, that. But it was zanier and, and wild. And that was the book that really showed me you can own this stuff and make your own version of it and have fun way. Uh, you know, the you grew up with and love were out fun. And that led to Superhead, which which all-star like, you know, how do I have to that like that you know, every possible point for that pirate adventure. And so trying to be aware, you know, I had already become comfortable saying characters are meant big or uh, fun personal and then once all those pieces suddenly came back to play it reminded me of how sure I had been to play with them once they started but kind of unable to because they were not siloed people were figuring out how to tell stories from characters different ways so, so many things were not connected you know so all of a sudden it all became connected again and I was like well I've learned to relax and have more fun with these characters and and, and be a little more daring and confident in my storytelling. Now I have all the pieces. It's really a thrill where I was like, I'm going to go free. You know what I mean? I, I really, I said to Dan, Dan, they fought, because they fought me on the title and all this stuff. They thought they were like, it's too weird. But Greg and I were like, no, it's called excessive metal. It's done, you know? Mm. And we wanted it to be something that was like, not irreverent, because it is very reverent for all the stuff says to readers, look, we love the same things you do, grow up on the same thing, 
now we have access to them. Let's bring them back in, but let's make something that's ours and not do continuity porn. Look back and say, oh, look at all these great stories we love. They're all fine and we're storing them. That's boring. You know, I don't want to be like, oh, look, remember the anti monitor? Well, I'm going to take the brain and try and shove it in the rock and turn it into the up dark multiverse with Uncle Sam shoving it. You know, like that's what I want. I want that. I want Batman riding a dinosaur, you know, up against the Joker dragon. Like, I want that. Yeah. So I'm looking for that. I want it to be called metal. I want something that's not, again, irreverent, but slightly rebellious, but a little bit more like a make something us, but for now, that has the spirit super in, that has a ton of fun to it, that has a little bit of a, you're in on the joke, but it's very, you know, personal and serious and all that stuff at the same time. We want you to feel the fun that we have in Gray working on a book again. And we want you to feel invited in to sort of say, whether you're a grown-up or a kid, and enjoy comics together and find them and about right now without having them, you know, deep over your head and having dark, terrifying So, I don't know, that's what we were going for with it, but it was a struggle. I mean, there was a lot of fighting. And now they're, they couldn't be more supportive and better. I mean, they're awesome fans. Everything's great with it. Um, but there was a period initially where it took them some time to get the same way it did with a lot of our stuff like that. Well, I think I think that sense of fun uh, definitely comes through. The scene that I keep telling people about when I talk about this book is um, how you, you kind of have your opening narration, and then there's almost like a smash cut to the entire Justice League decked out in their like Mongol verse, uh, you know, all the accoutrements that they have all over their their costumes, and um, and it's like a smash cut to them just all standing his in his arena and shit's about to go down and i've just been telling everybody like this is the most fun that i've ever seen scott snyder have with these characters and I, that's the moment that like oh my god this is metal this is heavy metal this is like snyder and capullo bringing it like i i couldn't i was so thrilled to see that scene play out with the <laughs> justice league and just like this is them cutting it loose in a way that you know like I've loved all the work that you've done with Batman, but like I've wanted to see you cut loose with the rest of the DCU for the longest time. Well, we and see, here dude. it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it gets crazier. That was like that was just like the opening shot. We <laughs> we see it issue two. Oh god. Really, it's like yeah, it gets. It, I I don't want to ruin it for you, but it gets nuttier and nuttier. Where it's literally like the opening sequence. There's there's um <laughs> there's uh you know, um, the Justice League is chasing the Bat family and, and they all look like Batman and they're in the Amazonian jungle and they're chasing Damien who's driving the big bat swamp truck that everybody's in <laughs> and Wonder Woman is sort of like, it literally Wonder Woman is like, she's like, Robin, you know, uh, pull over this thing. There's there's no winning. He was like, lady, he's like, I'm 13 years old driving a bat hog through the Amazonian jungle on a Tuesday morning. I am already winning. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's literally the opening page. So, you know, and then it goes to like the tomb of Prince Khufu and the ends of the lava pits at the end of the earth. Cause there's the, I don't want to give stuff away. You'll, you'll see. It's like, yeah. it really, it, it is, it could not be my, the next page is Superman is calling to all these teams being like, where the hell is Batman? So, 
there's teams at the House of Mystery and Gorilla City and Manda Parbat, all this kind of fun stuff, right? And I'm so totally spelling it, but Green Arrow is running away from like all the telepathic gorillas in, in Gorilla City, and he's like, he's like, Ollie, did you find him? And he's like, no, it's just a transmitter, I'm afraid. And he's like, just monkey business, no offense. And the telepathic gorilla behind him is like, I would fucking kill you for that. And then they were like, you can't say that, you can't say that. And I was like, okay, well, what can we say? And they were like, you can't put a wing ding, because we don't do those anymore. And I was like, what? Come on. And then I was like, well, what if I say growl? Like, the gorilla says roar, you know? And then I'm like, editor's note, translation. Gorilla in ancient gorilla, this means I will fucking kill you. We can do that. So I was like, go for it. So literally the second page has that, where <laughs> the editor's note is the translation from ancient telepathic gorilla, I will fucking kill you, which is like what it says. So I was like, that's the kind of comic book we're writing. You know what I mean? I was like, I'm just going there. And that's, it. that's awesome. Yeah. I love wow. it. Issue three. I'm going to give you another spoiler. Issue three literally opens with Jonathan and Damien playing heavy metal on guitars. Oh, God. Like, <laughs> it has them. It's the opening image is like these kid hands like playing heavy metal on a guitar with a bat symbol on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we just want you to have fun. You know? I mean... I'll spoil stuff when we're off the air even more, but I don't know <laughs> listening, but it really is, like, you know, they're, like, after Batman, it's with, like, Superman looking down at the Earth, and it tells the story of Krona, you know, where, where Carter is, like, you know, I like to think that the origin of the multiverse is a tale about exploration, you know, Krona, this ancient scientist, I told was told the story by an old friend, Abed Sir, that Krona was this ancient scientist, and he looked back into the beginnings of the universe, and it opened up all these worlds, and so the origin of our universe, our multiverse, is actually about looking for whatever it is you need and whatever it is you want to. And as he's talking, that Superman interrupts him. He's like, "We need to find Batman right now." <laughs> and um, you know, you turn the page, and everybody's looking for Batman everywhere because he stole the most dangerous weapon in the entire universe, and you don't know what it is. It's just it's that I want it wow. to be like every corner of the DCU, you know, is I that makes sense to integrate is integrated, you know. So everyone from Captain Marvel to Plastic Man to Mr. Terrific to Black Adam sense character I'm throwing in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I want Working. if I if I die tomorrow, why the why the fuck? Mm. Because that's that's literally the way I proceeded on Batman, where I was like, I'm making a giant Bat Jaeger and it's gonna fight a giant blue monster kaiju in the middle of Gotham with a black hole opening and a collider underneath and the Joker. Like I was like I'm just going there, you know. So you might as well, right? It's the way I teach my class where I'm like, you have to write the story that you would love to pick up and read more than any other today. And for me at this point in my life, you know, I want to I really want to lean into the joy of big superhero comic book storytelling. You know, I, for a long time when I was on Batman and especially when I was starting, um, the pressure was really a lot. And again, not like my dynamic like it was my dream job. So it's not like it was hard. You know, like my, my career is nothing like that. But what I'm saying is there's a lot of pressure to get on Batman and you're young. One, I didn't know it was going to be that. One, I didn't know it was going to be that. Two, 
all of that stuff and I didn't handle it pretty well the first couple of years. I had a rough time. You know, I, I, I couldn't be prouder of work, but my emotional life was not great where I, you know, I not a great dude to work with editors. I wasn't great at times. I drank too much. I spent, you know, volatile and not, you know, I mean, I wasn't a, I wasn't a great person. Um, and I just didn't know how to handle the pressure of having a job that I always wanted much faster than I thought I'd get it. And then having the pressure of, when you're on a book like that, it holds up a lot of time. Sales are responsible for a lot of sales. And I wasn't prepared for that. And I would constantly just try and write it for myself, Greg. And luckily, the sales were there. There was a lot of fighting with them where, you know, things like how to do zero, you know, how to get the family, or how to, you know, they had their ideas of the plan. We weren't eye to eye. At this point, in my career, I really feel like I have all of these books that I've learned to use as sort of safety valve, like Richard and, and other books that have coming out soon that will be announced that are personal, um, you know, creator own, completely free of those pressures. We're just experimenting with things like roads around here. And in that way, a book like allows more fun of superhero storytelling. It doesn't mean it's not as personal it is. But I don't feel the same pressure having that totality of my output. Like, there was a period before I had, you know, when I only had Superman and Chain. Uh, and Batman, I think I was finishing Swamp Thing. It was sort of like all I had was superhero stuff. And, you know, it's your dream, but at the same time, there are restrictions and pressures and financial things. Uh, expectations, deadlines, all of that stuff at some point, you know, can can start to death by a thousand paper cuts get you when it comes to remembering these things are supposed to be joyous, in addition to being personal and about things that matter to you know? And so at this point now, I feel like I can make a story like Metal, which is deeply personal. It's largely about waking up and figuring out that suddenly out of nowhere some days if you're not careful you can wake up and find yourself in a place where all the nightmare versions of yourself seem like the only things that are possible all the roads you're going to take are going to lead to darkness there's no way out of this there's all the only reason that you've done as well as you have at this point is because somebody you know let you or helped you um and there's both a personal aspect and a zeitgeist aspect to some of those things um but that said you won't hear me talk about those when I'm pitching metal. You know what I mean? Metal is much more, let's go out and have fun. Let's have a giant rock concert. And stuff. Sorry to go on so long. What I'm saying is that having having the sort of opportunity to do stuff like witches and after death, some of those things allows you to, at least for me, um, focus on making these stories over the top, bombastic, you know, fun, while still having a core that are that's, you know, personal and important to you. But you don't feel the same pressure. I don't feel the same pressure where I have to put everything I'm thinking and feeling into metal because I have these other outlets, you know, for different different elements of, um, you know, what, what I'm going through or what I think is important to write. Yeah, that's like, I think we're all like, have been kind of struck with just how big metal is and like how far reaching. And, you, you know, I 
mind is kind of blown when you you know you're pulling in things like corona and and all this other stuff and with you know as big as the story is and it only being a six issue series you know it it kind of makes sense for it to expand off into the tie-ins and we we know a little bit about those but um what can you can what can you tell us about metal kind of expanding into some of the ongoing series and some of the the batman one shots and kind of what your hopes and plans are for those yeah you know it's it's hard because i wish i had the, the biggest i would tell you like the biggest challenge with metal is fitting everything into seven plus issues because it is six issues proper it's one two three four five six between three and four in november we're doing an issue called batman lost and that's batman lost in the dark multiverse um so it's part of metal it's it's like not an intermission issue because it pushes the story forward but it's um it's still part of that kind of stuff. It will be collected as like the, you know, right story. You won't collect metal without it. Um, but, and the last issue is double size, you know, oversized. So it's a big one. So we have the room of about seven and a half to eight issues, but the biggest challenge is fitting it. Honestly, I worry about the pacing. Just today I was on the phone at the office, like on the way into the signing for two hours, just being like, how do we compress? How do we compress? So, you know, there's just so much to fit in that I wish we had longer. But at the same time, I also don't want people reading an event that drags on 10 issues, you know, whatever it is, 10 months or 12 months or whatever. Um, and I want it to be me and Greg, so I don't want to use multiple artists and have stuff that comes out every two weeks um, or whatever. And nothing against that stuff. It's just, I believe me, I love a lot of this project. This is just a personal, a personal leading where this is me and Greg, you know, and I would not let anybody else draw this, but Greg is designed for him. Um, so in that way, um, that's the big challenge. How do you fit it? And so one of the solutions was to be able to do something where some of the story pieces that I would have liked to do but aren't crucial for it happen as crossovers or one-shots. Now, I'm going to tweet out something probably tomorrow or the next day to make it really clear. They're going to be, they're going to give out a bunch of things that are like, thank you how well that'll did. I think I have safe things that sold out so, so they're really excited to see and want to sort of keep the momentum going so they're going to give out or put out you know, stuff that shows what's coming in. Um, but one of the things I know they're going to do is show you a map of how the crossovers and the one-shots work, which is something I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to post to my drawing I did with my kids. <laughs> like early on. But what it is is the way it works is that the one shot, the ones that are called like Batman, the Devastator, Batman, the Version, Batman, you know, and on the ground, those tell the stories, the origin story of the nightmare version of Swing. Now, the Dark Multiverse is the place where all your worst things exist. And Barbatos is sort of the dragon on the stairs, like the monitor essentially of that realm. And so he goes around plucking the worst version of don't fears about himself from the dark thing. So a version in which because of um, Superman uh, having been compromised by uh, a villain uh, he does tremendous damage to the world. So Superman experiments and Batman experiments with Doomsday Virus to make sure that they will stop Superman should back again and get that of control and he becomes the Doomsday Batman takes out takes out every and winds up being the great villain. That, that's devastating, right? The Batman who laughs clearly has an action to what if Batman killed the Joker and there 
Mm-hmm. So all of that stuff is really, really um, fun. <laughs> like creating seven nightmare versions of Batman where Batman, these are his fears about what could happen to him. Should he go too far? Should he break the code? Should catastrophic things happen to somebody he loves? All of those things are, are really potent. Um, so the one-shots are those, and they tell the origin stories. They also, they're split between origin stories and what those characters are doing in the present now. So, for example, um, Devastator, the one I told you about, they also tell the story of how um, that evil Batman is going to the Fortress of Solitude to smash the portal back from the Dark Multiverse and feel that kind of final crisis. I mean, from Infect Crisis, Crisis on Infinite Earth, which I'm totally spoiling way too much now. But that's sort of the idea of those stories. They tell the present, what the character's doing now, and they tell how they um, how they came the Gotham Resistance, which we're going to start pushing really hard, literally tomorrow. With this release, they're going to release the Batman Blast um, art tomorrow. Thank you. Look, again, metal better than I hoped, so they want to put stuff out to keep the yeah going. So this is really expected. Um, the Gotham Resistance about Barbatos comes and takes over Gotham and the Batman who laughs who's his number one knight if there's seven dark knights this is sort of the of the dark knights you're going to see it tomorrow so I'm going to spoil it but he keeps three rabid cannibalistic robins on a chain and he lets them go and they well it's really dark <laughs> it's really spooky I love them. I love the characters so much twist <laughs> he's like the darkest You know, Challenger's Mountain arrives in Gotham. There's like a giant wall of twisted metal around Gotham. And there's a maze, and there's a frost giant world, and there's a Joker world. There's all this stuff. Who wants to write this? So, so I, I don't have room for it. 
You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to get to it eventually. We're going to get to Gotham's story. But who wants to tell the story of how Gotham fell and how these characters tried to make Team Mountain Center and learn something really important for Metal about how to, how to fight these characters and then bring that information into Metal in issue three. And Ben Percy was awesome. Which is like, I'm ready for that, please. And I was like, go for it, dude. So we had, you know, Green Arrow and Team Titans uh, framing it. And then um, uh, Rob Williams is working on it. And then we had, uh, you know, that, so that's the Gotham Resistance in a nutshell. It's like, a, each one is a separate thing. So the Gotham Resistance is a four-issue story. It takes you through Gotham and all these lands with the characters you love. The one-shots tell the story of the Dark Knights and what they're doing here in the DCU. And my favorite is the third one, the Bats Out of Hell crossovers, which you can tell, like, DC finally came around and was really on our side because the Gotham Resistance, you know, is, is like a war title, right? I mean, I, I was like, what if we call it Welcome to the Jungle, right? You know, whatever. <laughs> and at that time, it was sort of like, they were still kind of like, I don't know, you know, I don't know. Like, it's a little bit, and then the sales to the forge and the casting came in and they started to lead into it. We're like, maybe this actually will work. And so that story was, had a different title at first. And I was just like, can we please lean into the fun? Please, please, please. Now, can we please not call it like, you know, dark matter, dark. Can we just have fun and call it something like steel cave match? That's what I think. <laughs> <should call it. laughs> and they were just like, uh, and I remember Dan Zadio being like, what do you want me to call it? Like, bats out of hell? I was like, yes, I do want you to call it that. That's awesome. And he was like, okay, I kind of like that. Oh, he was like, all right, why not? Let's do it. You know, and I was like, Go yes, for it. that's what I'm talking about. And so that's what it's called. And basically what that one is, is, and now again, I'm spoiling everything, but after <laughs> issue three of Metal, the characters set off on their mission to figure out how to get, get Nth Metal left in the very remote, these very remote sort of impossible places to reach to um, get it so they can defeat the Dark Knights. And along the way, the Dark Knights just derail them and say, we have a way of just getting you out of the mission Zeron. And instead, you're going to wind up in seven evil bat caves designed to kill you. And we're going to have some fun. Do a throwdown death match between like every batman proxy and their hero that they killed on their world like you know batman the merciless is like what if batman went to war with the gods <laughs> and was like enough you know like there's a giant war and millions of people die and batman's like i'm taking down air i'm sick of this you know and then becomes the god of war and so yeah, there you go so that's a fun match right wonder woman versus batman god of war it's pretty fun <laughs> Yes. So we are going all out. You don't even know. It's like, I'm telling you, like, it is like, this is like my favorite heavy metal album cover, nonstop, falls to the wall. If I never get to write another thing, I get to see every version of a crazy dinosaur in a cave, but trying to kill you in a bat cave. And like, you know, if I'm after Flash uh, and I have a bat cave that I'm going to have, a gajillion Batmobiles that could take it down, right? So it's that sort of story. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going all out, dude. I'm like not, I'm just not, I would really like taking no prisoners where, I, I swear to God, like with DC at one point, 
Greg and I were just like, Greg was like, I'll tell you what you do. You just don't call them back until until we get, you know, until they agree to this stuff. And I was like, I'm not call them back. It's like, it's like, and he's like, you don't call them back. And I was like, okay, I won't. I'm fine. And, um, you know, we, there was a period where there was like tensions like that. It was early. So believe me, I'm not trying to throw them under a bus because they couldn't have been anything more awesome to us, supportive. You know, by the time we hit the winter spring, they were just like incredible. They've been amazing to us. So they've given us everything creatively and they've thrown all this kind of fun support behind it with the shirts and the ads. And, you know, they just got really into the spirit and they had every right to be legitimately worried about it because, you know, the thing, the thing that doesn't seem obvious at all, shut up, honestly, about, you know, this question of me, I feel like I'm like, kind of lost like a, <laughs> down a crazy series of rabbit holes. But, but you know, when, Something like metal, like I said, I'm I'm pitching it a year and a half, two years ago to set up for now because it has to tie into a bunch of books, and that's right. And now it seems like, oh well, like a pre-election, pre you know, you're a while ago, so you're betting on things that you don't know if they're going to play out right or wrong. Maybe people will not be in the mood to have a kind of story that's a little bit more irreverent and you know. Uh, more rebellious fun and that kind of thing. Maybe they'll be in something much darker and post-apocalyptic or, or, you know, maybe they'll think it's frivolous. There are all kinds of, you know, calculations for making not in convenient, where, like, if I look at the landscape now, I'd say, oh, let's do something like Guardians of the Galaxy 2 or that's a big fun. But back then, when you're pitching it two years ago or whatever, you don't realize that. You know, I mean, you know that as a creator, what, what I want, what I think. But as a company that's investing millions of dollars in something like this, like literally over their their quarter or their two quarters depends on sales of it and that's people's jobs, that's people's you know, the whole ecosystem that surrounds that stuff where it's not just what you think, like it's not me and Greg and Eric together. It's also the publicist and the marketing team and the collected edition team and the foreign sales team, digital and all of those kind of people that work to sell the books and promote the books and package the books. All of that depends on it being a healthy sale, you know, and a healthy, there being a healthy response. So the thing I'm trying to say is they have every right to be skeptical and really push and set and make sure it's what they want. And so as much as I tease them, tease Dan and Jim and that stuff for being skeptical at first, I would have been just as skeptical in their shoes as they were, maybe more. So I give them a ton of credit for being so generous with us, Diane, Jeff, and being so generous with us at this point, and coming around the way they did, because, again, they had, you know, every every reason to be hesitant. That's awesome to hear. You know, I'm uh... like, and then a giant Hawkman kaiju is standing on Challenger's Mountain. And Batman rides a Joker dragon into his face. And that's literally one of the things that happened. And I was like, <laughs> what do you think? You know, and it's like, security, security. You know, it's like that kind of meeting. But, um, no, they trust us and they're great. So I hope that answers that. Absolutely. Uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't focus a little bit more on Greg's work. Because, you know, sure. Greg is a creator that, you know, for, for guys of, of, of our age... 
you know, we, we remember him doing Spawn stuff, and then when he came over to Batman in the New 52, it was this revelation for, I think, for a lot of people who saw him as one type of artist and then just saw him grow and emerge into something totally different. And I know that you guys have spoken in the past about how initially you, know, you weren't sure how the, the pairing was going to go, but clearly you and Greg have found a rhythm, have found a language that works for the two of you. So what was it about, what is it about working with Greg that is so satisfying for you, that is so, uh, that is so creatively rewarding? Well, I'd say it's it's sort of two, there are two avenues that, that sort of we drive on in that regard. One is the personal, which um, I respect him and admire him as a, as, a, as a father and a husband and, you know, a human being. He's one of the best people I know, and he's someone who's overcome tremendous adversity to um, be an example to his two, um, you know, adopted sons through his marriage, all that stuff, and we, my wife and his wife, have become very good friends. There's just a there's a, a personal aspect to it that just grows when you work with somebody closely over time. So there's that, um, which is in itself its own, you know, just its own organic thing. Um, but even if we didn't like each other, he would still be, you know, somebody I would work with above anyone really because his work ethic and what he wants to do on the page is so inspiring where he's somebody who has every reason to come over from doing spawn i mean here's the truth like you know we do and we've done enough um at this point where it wouldn't be hard to spin our wheels like you know um when i started on batman i was nowhere in that i mean i was you know still starting out but greg was somebody who had done spawn who had done you know a lot of things and had enough money and had enough um, you know, uh, cred, where he doesn't need to reinvent himself. But when somebody like that comes on a book with you, or like Ramita when I worked on All Star, like I really want to knock this out of the park. You know what I mean? Um, that that attitude is hugely inspiring. Where you realize like this is someone you look up to who has every reason to sort of sit back and you know, sort of phone it in. You know, and they'd still be great if they folded it in, but it's always growing. So if you look at Greg's stuff from Batman 1 to now, it's almost like completely different. And my stuff as well, like I'm way wordier and way, you know, more um, tight and less playful and more explanatory, all that kind of stuff back then. And one of the reasons I feel like I love working with Craig is because I'm inspired by, again, his his desire to grow constantly as an artist. But I also feel, um, you know, uh, that it makes me a better writer to work with somebody like that because he's always pushing himself and that pushes me. So every, um, yeah, every project, I just feel like we get better, you know, in that way because he wants to learn and I want to learn from each other. So we're, we're always on the phone going back and forth. I love it, like, I was just talking to him tonight about issue five from like, what do you think of the sequence? Do you like this? How do you want to do it? And he was like, well, what if you did it like this and had Wonder Woman coming up? You don't see what happens to her at the end of the sequence and you think she goes down, but then we go to cut to another scene and then after that we see her come up on the mountain holding the thing. So like, let's do it, you know? I'm like, great, we'll just write it in like this and give me some room. And I was like, I will, but you some dialogue. You know, it's that, that, you know, I mean, coming from prose for me, 
the joy of comics, honestly, and the thing that makes me not miss prose at all. Um, and I always wanted to be in comics, but, you know, I just fell into prose, and, and I, I still love it. But the thing that I love the most about comics is the collaborative aspect of it, and that feeling of making somebody with somebody, like giving over part of it, and getting back something better than you could be on your own. And that's what it's like with Greg, and, and with Jock and Raphael, and, you know, uh, Sean Murphy. It's giving them something and saying, how much do you need to give me back better than what I could do myself? And they all have different ways of working. Greg, Greg will probably out of everybody wants the most, right? <laughs> where he wants, you know, me to, he'd be happy if I gave him a three-page outline. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's one thing. So it's a constant sort of how do you find a way to work together where you're giving him enough stuff. So we talk things through and we have fun on the phone with Andy Hubert. It's the same, you know, Whereas Jock likes full script and Raffle likes a combination, you know? So it's, it's that, but out of everybody, I mean, Greg, you know, he's, he's a rock star and he's made enough at this point that he could retire, but he doesn't. He instead works 14, 15 hour days because he's determined to make every page great. That is awesome. That is really awesome. We're gonna uh, we're gonna wrap up the formal part of this conversation in just a moment, but I, I think it'll be fun to maybe uh, ask you one last question. Give our listeners an unexpected thing to look out for way down the line in metal. Like, what's something that you know that won't make any sense to them now, but will make sense, you know, five or six months down the road? Oof. I feel like I've spoiled so much. <laughs> not not <laughs> necessarily a spoiler, but you know, but what's something you can tease that will be, uh, you know, that'll be fun for down the road. There's so much, honestly. I mean, there's like my brain is like full of stuff we're doing just now, like between Danagar and guitarists. And trying to think of like what what's one thing out of the things where <laughs> we're going to the Rock of Eternity, like everywhere. You know, it's like. <laughs> It touches so many parts of the DCU that I'm trying to think of like what. Okay, I, I I have a better way to ask the question. What's what's sure. one crazy thing you wanted to include but couldn't include? I couldn't. Yeah. There's really nothing I could. Oh man! That's that's cool. no. <laughs> I literally was like, at one point, I was like, "Is there a way?" I I don't want to give it away. I mean, but but like, my favorite line in the next issue. Where Morgan Buffet literally is like to Kendra, she's like, "You've been outvoted. We're taking the astral brain and we're shoving it through the rock of eternity. We're slowing the dark multiverse up." And that's literally a line. And I was like, "I was like, I can't believe it." And then that's fucking like awesome. R- Rachel Gould raises his hand and is like, "I know I'm the youngest here, but that's totally <laughs> you know what I mean, like kind of thing." It's like that, and I was like, "I just love this." I'll tell you what. Detective Chimp is in is in issue. That's one thing I love. Is in issue three. They're in the Oblivion Bar and like everything's going to hell. And they're like, "Where the hell are we?" And they're like, "You're in the Oblivion Bar. We're the last six places left." And Detective Chimp just like raises a whiskey glass in the corner and is like, "Here, here." Man, this is shaping but, up. To I mean, it really is. I'm telling you, it is. It is just bonkers. Like it is. This story is, you know. It really is like they're just like, here are the keys to your dad's. You know, it's like Ferris Bueller, where it's like, here are the keys to your dad's car. You should never die. 
Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previews catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. All right, and we are back. That was uh, that was quite the chat with Scott, wasn't it? Quite the chat. <laughs> the dude is so cool. Uh, so anyway, we are back to, with, to share our thoughts about uh, Metal, Dark Knight's Metal number one. And, you know, I, I think... I think it's pretty clear from our conversation with Scott that the three of us all really enjoyed it. <laughs> That's probably not a spoiler at this point, but uh, let, let's dig into it a little bit. So, Vince, you mentioned we were talking to Scott about the, the jump cut that happens sort of from that first page uh-huh. to the Justice League on Mongol's uh, like uh, battle world there. I'm obsessed with it. I don't know why this is... This is the moment for me where, though, that it's like... Yes, this is Scott Snyder embracing, not that I've not loved most of what he's done, you know, mm-hmm. but like, this is him embracing the Justice League and the greater DCU in a way we haven't seen before. You know, he's done big things with Batman, he's done crazy wild things with Batman, but like, this was just too metal for words, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it feels like a really uh, uninhibited book. Like, this feels so confident and so full of just, you know, let's let's make him into a Megazord. Like, you know, there's, there's there, there are all these, like, just incredibly, I don't want to say silly moments. Silly is the wrong word, but there's, there's nothing self-conscious about this book. Yeah. No, no. We open up in, like, a gladiator pit with them all wearing, like, crazy armor and... It's just, you know, you're just dropped right into the action. It's, like, completely, like, absurd. Batman, like, solves the riddle and, like, <laughs> finds the, like, secret button in the back of the robot's throats that, like, lets the Megazord form. It's insane. I love it. <laughs> and the part that nobody seems to be talking about is that the Justice League is, like, getting in formation, battling uh, this enemy in Mongol's arena. And they're, they each are, like offering what they can offer and they don't even have to finish their sentences you know there's like an yep. unspoken language between the i mean this is the most united the justice league has felt in a while to me and and that's saying something too you know like this is the the great thing about this event and yes there's probably going to be tension down the road between batman and the rest of the justice league i'm sure but right He's now just so darn crabby <laughs> right now Nobody is doing that event comic thing where all the heroes are fighting and arguing, can't get along, forming different factions. This is a united Justice League, a united DCU coming back together in celebration of everything that DC Comics is. And I mean, like, literally everything. Well, yeah, so it's interesting. When uh, we got the the copy of the book earlier in the week, and uh, 
I think all three of us read it <laughs> before going to bed and probably had a hard time sleeping because we all uh, <laughs> we all read it and we, we were hyped about it. But then the next day I went back and I reread the two Dark Days books, uh, The Forge and the Casting, and then I reread Metal Number 1 along with it. And it is like, it, between those three books, almost the entirety of the DC Universe is referenced. And it never feels like it's completely just shoehorned in there for no reason. Everything seems to fit into this gigantic, wacky, overstuffed story, and it just it just works. It just really works. Um, but let's talk about this issue in particular. Um, what were some highlights for you guys? Uh, the multiverse map. <laughs> it, it, it shows up in a comic? Which yeah. Is, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, that's um, crazy. Ca- uh, Justice League characters got jokes. <laughs> like they're actually telling jokes and having fun and being funny. Yeah. Fun. It's a legit, fun like, is the I, key operative word here. Yeah. Yes. It is. I legitimately chuckled like several times. Whether it was something that was like absurd happening on the page or a literal, you know, the Flash telling a literal joke. Yeah. You know? Oh, man. Uh, some some great Final Crisis references. Yeah. This is yeah. like crazy tied into Final Crisis. Yeah, like it almost, is. But... It's almost like a sequel, really, in a lot of ways. Um, or I guess I... more like the Return of Bruce Wayne stuff, but... Yeah. I love the... Um, I love that they're... I mean, we already knew this with the, with the Dark Days books, but like... I love this idea that, that, you know, Hawkman's been around forever and it's this ancient mystery that he's solving that's passed down to Batman now. Like, that's that's legacy that didn't exist, uh, you know, since the New 52 in a form that was coherent or pleasurable. And now it's <laughs> like, not only not only does it exist, it's being rewritten, you know, stuffing everything back in and it's being threaded in such a way that it goes back to the beginnings of everything up to what's happening right now in an extremely satisfying way. Um, it's a reclamation project basically for, for Hawkman and, and how, how long have we wanted one of those, you know? Oh Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that um, it's interesting that I feel like Hawkman as a detective is not the most universal way people think of him. I think that, uh, you know, it makes total sense, though. Like, the way that they, especially in the first couple of Dark Days books, the way they establish him as a, a, a historical detective through his museum and all that, it was just, it just, it, again, it's taking familiar bits from the past, giving them new life and new meaning, and it doesn't feel... This book should feel overstuffed. If you look at all that happens in it, it should feel like there's too much there. And it never feels that way. It feels like there's a ton there, but it's all so welcome and all so well put together. It's just... This is the yeah. most fun I've had with a DC comic in a very long time. Oh, very long time. And I, if I had any criticism for it at all, and I, I, I'm just going to get this out of the way right now, um, it's more about my expectations and less about the book that's presented to us. Okay. Um, 
All I would say is, like, this just continues the DC trend of Batman is the center of everything. Batman is the universe, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't do anything to to take away this idea that Batman is DC's cornerstone now. And, and that idea literally goes back to, like, the dawn of creation, basically, <laughs> is what we're being told. Now, if you can just accept that that's what DC, you know, for the, for the last... I guess ever since the Nolan movies co- sort of made them uh, their properties a, a serious moneymaker again, or whatever you you know whatever point you want to pick, Batman is the center of the universe now. So so accepting that, God, everything in this book is so just right up my alley, you know. So question for you guys: Did either of you finish reading the Earth Two Society stuff? No, I never did. I. I, I read the last issue just to see if it because I remember at the time we were thinking that they were gonna hop over and some that that maybe some uh, JSA proper characters would show up in that book and they were gonna springboard into something new mm-hmm. and that never ended up happening. Okay. So I I, di- I did read that last issue. The reason I'm asking is I can't remember if this is the Kendra Saunders from Earth Two or if this is the Kendra Saunders from. Because I, I don't know if Kendra's been in Rebirth, in uh, even the New 52. Was Hawkgirl ever there? I don't think this oh, is the no. JSA one. Oh, wait. I don't think this is the Earth 2 one. Yeah, me either. Okay. I couldn't I couldn't remember if if she had crossed over. Because, you know, it, that sounds crazy, but Mr. Terrific in the Dark Days books literally comes over from Earth 2. Right, right. Yeah, no, he, I think he is the, like, only one other than, like, Power Girl and, and Huntress mm-hmm. from Earth 2 who, who, like, ever crossed over. Okay. If um, I recall correctly. Yeah, I can't remember. Let's see. Uh, I know we're, we're kind of scattershot going through this, but we've talked about it so much with Scott. There's not, I, I feel like we don't have to go through every bit, beat by beat, but we get, okay, so I, I do want to talk about this page. There's a page where, um... Kendra is sort of showing them the photos uh-huh. on Blackhawk Island. And we get, like, obviously the Blackhawks from the 40s. We get uh, the Will Payton Starman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we get the the Metal Men and uh, Red Tornado. And then we get the Challengers of the Unknown. Yeah. The Will Payton Starman is really interesting to me. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not a character I would have ever expected to show up. I think of all the star men, I would have expected him to show up the least in this book. Um, but a, a very, very cool uh, reference there. Were there any other moments where you guys felt like, I can't believe this character is showing up or this this thing is happening? Um, maybe the last page? Well, we'll get to that in a little while. Let's, let's... <laughs> well, you asked the question. I, I was surprised um... for the red tornado showing up. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting that towards the end we see uh, a clock in Wayne Manor ticking close to midnight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or actually, that's more like 10 p.m. It's, it's 10 p.m., it? yeah, but but still, it's framed in the exact way. It's, it's midnight Eastern. <laughs> well, Gotham's in New Jersey, so it's midnight like Shut in... Shut up! Uh... <laughs> Uh, I, I know. Yeah. Um, um, 
I want to I want to give some props to uh, Greg Capullo, who, like, man, those Dark Days issues. We we kind of talked about the art and how it would go back and forth and between different artists and you know it did its job, but uh, <laughs> I mean this is just so. This is just so, like, next level. This is, like, event, comic, consistent all the way through. And I, I love Capullo. I love the way that he draws action. I love the way he stages the scene. Just everything seems so epic. And, and there's that double-page spread where um, the Challenger's Mountain shows up in Gotham. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, you know... On a page, that's like one-fourth of the double-page spread that we've got here. But it's so, it's so like massive and iconic-looking, even in this relatively small panel. Sorry, I have the hiccups. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's worth noting, too, that this is Capullo inked by Glapion, Glapion which is the first, I think, after Zero Year, it was Miki? Yes. Danny Miki, so... It's the kind of like return to the original Batman team. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that. Um, I just love his art so much. It's so, it's so expressive and just like it's it's very cape comic, and yet at the same time, it's not house style. It's very distinct, you know. Ah, so yeah. good. It's great to see him doing something again, same with Snyder, that isn't just Bat-centric. Mm-hmm. You're giving him a chance to, to spread his wings a little bit. I think it's absolutely great. Um, let's see. There was one other panel I, I particularly loved from, from Capullo. Well, first of all, we have to also mention how Capullo is a bit of a, of a, a chameleon here, too. He does a lot of different things in this issue. Like, going back to that page with the different pictures on the wall, like, each of those characters looks era-appropriate and specific. He did a really nice job of... And then the character that shows up on the last page, I don't know why, I don't know why we're being coy about this, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, because DC spoiled it themselves, so, yeah, I mean, mean yeah. come on. Yeah, and you just heard us for an hour talk with Scott Snyder about this stuff. Um, right. But, you know, uh, the way he draws Dream is not at all like the way he draws Batman. You know he's right. he, he really can mimic other people's styles really well here with that without it feeling inauthentic. It still yeah, feels it like still him. feels like him. Exactly. Yeah. Oh man, eerie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, uh, we, we got some. We got some, we had Batman riding a dinosaur. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Just so many like great little jokes. Yeah. Ah. Uh, yeah. The the page of the creative team page where everybody has a like a nickname? heavy metal nickname, yeah. yeah, right. Which honestly, like, I know we kind of give other creators flack when they do that. A certain set, particularly. Um, <laughs> well, they deserve it. <laughs> but <laughs> this was just fun. Yeah, the this is fun. Scott I mean, Snyder's it's... the Doom Commander. Doom yeah. Commander. <laughs> What uh, is Dan DeDio on here? I don't remember. Oh, he has to be. Please let him be. I don't see him. I don't think he is. 
Okay, we got to come up with one for Dan DiDio then. Are we doing Jim Lee too? Oh, Jim's on there because Jim does the does the uh, variant. Yeah, so he's Jack, Jack, Jack Jim Jack Navely. Dan. 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 Uh... Dan will fuck yourself, the Dio. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Oh my goodness! Oh, uh, that's it. <laughs> Well, the DC three has been fun, you guys, but we're no we he's, assist. He takes no shit. <laughs> he takes no shit. Um, Dan, Dan the dumper the Dio. <laughs> yeah, that's better. That's a better thing than mine. Sure. No, it's not. Everyone loves being called the like dumper. Dan the dumper. The dumper. <laughs> Dan demonites the Dio. There we go. Oh, there you go. There it is. Hello. All right. Uh, so should we just cut no, to the I'm... chase and and talk? Yeah, let's do it. And talk about uh, Dream coming into this. Enter, enter Sandman. Enter Sandman. Yeah. Okay. Can I just say like how nice it was? I I feel bad for everyone else because how nice it was. We you know we got this the review copy the night before the like big media blitz and just to like turn to that last page and just be like, what in the <laughs> world? Like just, just draw to the floor. Vince, you were spoiled beforehand though, right? I was spoiled. I'm a spoiler. Oh, boy. I, Where do you go look for the spoilers? I get secret messages sent to me and I just, I don't shy away from them, and so... Was this actually... Did somebody send this to you personally? Yeah, I get... Yes, yes. Jeez. <laughs> well, I, get DM, I get DMs from people sometimes. They're not... It's nobody important, <laughs> you know? It's. it's uh, I mean, you're very important. If you're listening, I, 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 I just mean you're not... You don't work for DC. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. But I tell you about it. I just don't... I don't want to spoil it for no, you. No, no, no. I don't want to know. I, I'm yeah, happy. I don't know I'm happy to be not spoiled. I'm just. I. I thought you were just like trolling Reddit. I didn't realize you were. Uh, they. The, you had people seeking you out, <laughs> like, like you're, <laughs> like you're fucking a gossip columnist and. Uh... <laughs> like you're Rich Johnson or something. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, when you operate with the gorilla mindset, you uh, you take a lot of uh, a lot of calls from strange people. So uh, that is true. That is true. Um. So yeah, Zach, I'm with you. I was not spoiled ahead of time, and I turned the page. And I well, I I had known because again to get a little peek behind the curtain here, DC sends out their review copies usually on Fridays, and they had said like, oh, no review copy for this till Monday. We don't want to we don't want to have anything spoiled, um, which they've done in the past with with certain books. And so I knew there was going to be something big. And when setting up the interview with Scott Snyder. We had initially wanted to do it for last week, and DC had said to me that, oh, you know, the big news will break before the issue comes out. So even if you had him on the morning of the issue came out, the big news would already be out there. So I, I had an inkling there'd be something happening. But this is not what I expected. No. No. Although... I, you could have given me a hundred guesses, and I probably wouldn't have... You know... Yeah. A, a, a character shows up at the end of Metal. Who is it? You know... Uh, <laughs> I did. I did. I mentioned it in our in our text chat earlier. You did. I I 
when we went back, it, you go back when we did our predictions for Rebirth before the books were announced. I predicted a Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, Sandman Rebirth. You did. You're a genius, Zach. That's pretty crazy thinking about it. Yeah. And at the time, we probably said, we love that. That's crazy. That'll never happen. But exactly. Yes. And uh, that sort of happened. <laughs> I mean, not really, but you know. I uh, mean, not really, but for one page, it did happen. Absolutely. And, and apparently for more, according to yeah, yeah. the interview. A couple more pages. So I feel like this is there, – there are certain people who have lumped this in with the Watchmen stuff. But to me, this feels totally different than the Watchmen coming over to the mainstream DCU for a number of reasons. It, it, has, it has the same impact when you turn to the page, but when you think about it a little more, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is something that's happened before. Yes, yeah. there, there is precedent for this. And I think it does fit the story, especially the way Scott was talking about sort of the nightmares in Forming the Dark Multiverse, like that that fits right in with with Sandman. That makes total right. sense. Yeah. And I'm just I'm just like fascinated with the fact that this is a Hawkman story and that this is his grandson. Yeah. That's yeah. Oh my god. There's just like wheels within wheels going here. <laughs> um so Zach, because you uh you know, you had no spoilers going into it nor did I what was your initial reaction turning that page? It was, like, one part just, like, I mean, there was, like, the initial shock of it. Like, oh, I can't believe that there that this is happening. And then I think my mind initially kind of went to, like, Watchmen. Like, oh, this is them. You know, they're just, like, going all out. They're bringing everything in. And, um, and just, I... I, I don't know. I didn't like. I guess I I didn't like start like you know theory crafting or anything after that. Really, I, I was just you know really excited about it. When I when I first read it, because I, I knew that that Vince had had been spoiled, and then he and I were texting. I knew he was awake when I uploaded the file for him, and uh, my text to him just said every sacred cow. just like i i just that was my initial reaction just like dc is is going for it it's not it's not holding anything back anymore any of their characters that you thought you wouldn't be seeing again they're gonna you're gonna see them again everything is gonna everything is there it's all part of the same tapestry and i love that it ups the scale of everything infinitely like I, I guess, like I just did not expect this to be the place that we would get a Sandman appearance, right? Yeah. Uh, have you guys? But that's what makes this fun, too. You know, like it's it's cool. It's cool to expect the unexpected now. Is, you know, is it just me, or does does the design on his on his robe kind of look like an owl? Hmm. It's the eyes. And there's like a beak. I'm pro- I'm just getting conspiratorial now. No, Zach, what are you doing? I'm Alex Jones. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh. the owls. 
The freaking owl's gay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh. I, I do see it. I do see it, Zach. Oh man, I hate. I hate what I'm seeing, Zach. But so, um, have you guys seen the uh, the same or similar amounts of righteous anger over this than you did over the the button watchman stuff? I haven't no. seen any anger at all, but I also haven't been looking. No, not at all. I've seen a little bit of it, and I'm a little bit surprised by it, to be honest with you. That's fine. I haven't seen the slightest thing, and I would imagine it's because uh, I, I thought that we would see none because uh, Neil Gaiman's like 100% okay with this, and it's kind of his prerogative. DC has made it his prerogative at this point. I've seen some people say, like, you know, uh, that, you know, when you bring up that point and say, you know, well, Gaiman's okay with it, they'd say, well, what choice does he have? And, like, well, he could say no. Well, DC would do it anyway. Well, okay, maybe, but they didn't. They asked, they asked if he and was they, okay. Yeah, historically and, haven't either, you know? Like, right, yeah. any time a, a Sandman character appears, it's uh, kind of, like, with much pomp and circumstance and... and Usually with Gaiman's approval. Yeah. Um, do you guys think that we're going to see... I know Scott said that we're going to see a little bit more of Dream as the series goes on, but do you think that we're going to see Sandman characters more integrated into the DCU, or is this going to be a purely limited thing? <sighs> I don't know. You know what? I, I'm gonna. I think anything is on the table. I think we will, but I think I think they are gonna pick their spots too. But you know, d- didn't they tease like more Sandman stories for the upcoming Vertigo stuff? Remember, I believe like, so. Yes. Like at Comic Con, they showed a reel of like yeah. a bunch of art for different projects, Vertigo related, and I'm pretty That's sure. Right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure New Sandman was part of that, and. New uh, Invisibles, too, was that's something we haven't really talked about. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. Invisibles was part of that. It was, yep. Yeah, we need to talk about that eventually one day, maybe. Yeah. But I guess, but I guess what I'm saying is, like, given what we know about uh, Young Animal and, DC, and the DCU crossing over and... Uh, Mark Doyle being the Vertigo editor now and having a lot of crossover with, um, you know, mainline DC titles over the last couple of years. It would not surprise me if this is like the opening taste or the opening salvo of whatever's coming in the Vertigo relaunch. Not, yeah, but- not that it's not that it's going to directly. Not that Vertigo will directly reference, uh, say metal at all you know but that it's it's feeding back from metal to vertigo i could see that i think uh i I think they're going to tread very lightly with these characters and if we see more crossovers from this world i think they're going to be few and far between i feel like this is a rare example of a story uh i don't want to say needing that crossover but to me, it adds so much more to the story to have it there. So I, I think that this is this is not your typical 
cash grab incorporating characters for no reason. I think there's a very good reason here, and I hope that if they continue to use these characters, they do so for good reason. And it doesn't become as a gimmicky thing where you see, you know, Dream or Death or whoever to show up every now and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a safe bet. I, it makes me wonder, do you think if Alan Moore had left DC on better terms that they would have done any of the before Watchmen stuff? Um, probably. I still think so. Probably probably sooner, right? <laughs> then what is it about Neil Gaiman that gets the respect? I think it's just I think it's I think it's the way it's I think it's the way that Gaiman handles it, you know. Mhm. Not that Alan Moore doesn't have the right to say and do whatever he wants to do, you know? Like I'm not I'm not judging Alan Moore against Neil Gaiman, does, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. I'm just saying that that is what the difference that's the difference in their relationships, I would say. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're just saying that like Gaiman is like left less of a curmudgeon about stuff, so and there's le- there's le- there there's been less animosity over the years, so he's right more easily approachable, you know. Yeah. He he probably got a better deal than than Moore did. Yeah. Too. Because he, you know, just from the benefit of coming later. Right. Because what Sandman started when like the early 90s? I think it was late 80s, but Was it late 80s? Okay. It might have been 90 actually now that I'm thinking about it. I don't really know. Either. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows why they do the things this- why DC does the things it does. <laughs> yeah. But overall, what are sort of your hopes and uh and and thoughts about metal going forward now? Well, my biggest hope is that I I have no fears that the rest of the the metal series itself is going to carry this same like bonkers tone throughout, but uh I only hope that the tie-ins have the same spirit you know they're not they're not all gonna have like scott snyder's uh intimate idea and ability towards what metal is supposed to be about behind them Mm -hmm. but i hope they capture that same spirit that would be nice yeah what um of the three kind of like pillars there, you know, like the the Batman one shots, the Gotham Resistance, and the Justice League thing, what which one are you guys more or less excited about? Uh, the uh, Hawkman stuff, which wasn't mentioned. <laughs> what the Hawkman stuff? No, I mean, like, no. I'm saying the Hawkman stuff gets me as me the most excited of anything. But of those three, um, I guess the Justice League stuff. Yeah, I, I guess I was like specifically mentioning like the tie-in stuff, know, like the big, just... the big tie-in pillars. Yeah. I guess yeah, I guess I, yeah. I think I'm kind of ex- I, I'm kind of interested in the Gotham Resistance stuff, just from the way Scott described it. Yeah. All right, folks. I think that probably does it for us. We're we, we we've been on the phone a long time. 
we are tired tonight. Uh, <laughs> but uh, thank you for listening. We actually have a special treat for the end of the show. So we were talking to Scott when he was coming back from a signing at Midtown Comics, which uh, Charles Soule was also a part of. And so he and Charles were in the car together for a while. And so we had a, a brief chat with Charles Soule about a couple things DC, but also a couple of things uh, Marvel and Image and Lucasfilm and other things. So we got about a five-minute chat with Charles Soule to close out this special Saturday spectacular... What did I call it before in the tech, Zach? You, you liked what I called it. Um, um, I called it... You called it Saturday Night Live. Uh, uh, yeah, I called week, it. Yeah, some some weekend, weekend update. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah. So, uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back on Wednesday with our full show with uh, with thoughts about all sorts of comics and news and all that. But until then, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Brian Needs an App. I'm at VJ underscore O S T R O W S K I. And I'm at Sir Fox eighty nine. And uh, thanks again to Scott Snyder. He is one of the true good dudes in comics. And uh, we hope to have him on soon, and we hope you come back next week. So thanks for listening. Bye. Hi, I'm Paul, the host of the Comic Syllabus Podcast, a weekly show on the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. We read widely and we dig deep, bringing different analytical approaches to our study and appreciation of the wide variety of comics out there. Along with comics teachers, critics, and creators, we do close readings of classic and current exemplars of the medium. And we invite you to join us every Tuesday here at MultiversityComics.com. So let's dig deep. All right, folks, we are joined on the phone by Scott Snyder, who is driving in a car with Charles Soule. This was not expected, but we have a special guest, an extra special guest (laughs) on the podcast uh, this week. So uh, you guys are coming from a signing at Midtown Comics in uh, Manhattan, and uh, the signing went well? It was great. Yeah, dude. It's a friendly hometown crowd. There's no uh, tomatoes or rotten fish. It's all good. <laughs> we made out okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for those that maybe are, are, are just DC exclusive readers, which I, I, don't, I don't think those things exist anymore, but if they were, Charles is uh, the writer of The Great Curse Words over at Image with our friend Ryan Brown and uh, is also doing a slew of stuff at Marvel right now, some Star Wars books. He was recently on the Inhumans books. So, Charles, how are you doing tonight? And do you feel, do you have to report back to Marvel that you are on a DC podcast? Uh, well, um, is this a DC-branded podcast? Uh, I don't know. I guess, guess if I get fired from this, I'll just go, you know, I'll write just curse words forever. It'll be great. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it's it's good. I'm I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be. Uh, otherwise, I'd just be talking to Scott in the car. So uh, now I get to talk to you guys, which is so much better. <laughs> I have to ask you, Charles, and I think I've asked you this in person before, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you again. The the comment that we get on our site all the time, whenever we post anything, Charles Soul doing new book, the first comment is always, "Does he sleep?" So settle it right now. Do you sleep? Uh, when I can, I, I have slept at, at night sometimes before. Um, I don't sleep as much as I'd like to, but I think that's probably true of just about everybody, right? Probably. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk curse words for a second. This is one of my favorite books of the year. It's you and Ryan Brown doing just insane stuff with wizards. And, uh, you guys recently did a van tour, right? Yeah, we we were on the road for, for most of a month, uh, almost a month. Uh, touring, driving a, a van all around the United States of America. Um, we saw, I, what did, we, we ran this tally kind of on the last day. We, we saw 22 states, 26 significant cities, and, uh, and 
14 stores along the way. We did these, these huge big signings at 14 stores. We called them wizard parties. So it was, it was really kind of like grueling, but also amazing at the same time. Like it was like when you're, when you're out, uh, it's like it's four in the morning, you've been up all night, but you don't want to stop. Like that was, that was every minute of, of the band from around day three to the end felt like that every minute of every day. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Uh, so I, I yeah. guess to, to keep us slightly on brand here, you know, you have written for DC before, not counting Scott's work. What are you enjoying from DC right now? Because you, you have to say Scott's work. He's sitting right next to you in the car, you know. So give us. Oh a scoop, yeah, though. listen, I I, uh, I I have been really enjoying uh, a lot of Scott's work. Actually, I think All Star Batman was a, was a real triumph for him. All the different artists. Uh, I I because I know Scott, I I knew a lot about metal uh, before it came out. But I hadn't seen the final version, so I got to read it tonight. Uh, I picked it up at the shop, uh, and, and I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was just excellent comic booking from from him and Greg, Greg Capullo. Um, you know, beyond that, I really, you know, I'm going to, I'm going that was a, a text or something like that, I think. Um, but I, I, uh, I, I, I'm going to join the course and say that I really enjoyed uh, Tom King and, and Mitch Garad's uh, Mr. Miracle. Uh, I thought that was really interesting stuff, and I really am looking forward to seeing where it goes. Yeah, uh, you just taught us how to pronounce Mitch's last name, so thank you for that. Yeah, he. Um, I I asked him once, just straight up, like years ago. I've known him for a long time, and I, he's like, "Yeah, it rhymes with garage." So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I think we've used that pronunciation at least once. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we would jump <laughs> back and forth. So. Yeah. So when when you were writing over at DC, you were doing a bunch of work with Swamp Thing. Are you? Uh, do you feel like you got to tell your complete Swamp Thing story, or is there more you want to tell there? I did. It's actually funny um, because you know Scott and I. Scott was writing Swamp Thing before I did, uh, and so I think we both got to tell. Like Scott brought Swamp Thing back after kind of years of, of obscurity, and then I was lucky enough to have that be my first gig in, in mainstream comics at all, uh, and and it was a real pleasure and honor. I love that character, and I I think it was. You know, I, the, the, the story that I told kind of followed from what he did. And I think if you look at his, uh, his 18 issues plus annual and then my, you know, I guess I went up to issue 40 plus a couple annuals. It, it really tells one whole complete story about kind of the reverse of Alec Collins to DC Universe. I think we both did a hell of a job, honestly. I mean, yeah, it was really, that's, that is literally how I met Scott. Like we, the first time we talked was... Um, yeah, yeah. We there was there was a point of like there was something he wanted to do at the end of his run that I was like, oh man, they're kind of like you know, I'm not sure like the kind of torpedoes where I thought I would start. And so we kinda of, we had to have this conversation about it, about how, how it was gonna work. Um and ultimately the way he wanted to end ended up being much better for, for what I wanted to do and it all worked out. But we had a phone conversation where he's like, Hey, you know, I'm Scott, you know, I'm a good dude, I'm your buddy now, let's pal <laughs> and lo and behold, we're pals now. So it was it was really good. It was really good. <laughs> he says any kitchen he remembers the phone call. So, <laughs> uh, and I guess we we have to ask about a little bit about Star Wars here. I'm just I'm fascinated with sure. the, with the process of writing a, a a comic for a license that is as as huge and as well controlled as the Star Wars license is. So how how difficult is that for you in terms of scripting a story? Do you have to run? Every little bit by Lucasfilm, do you have to pass on an outline? Like, how does how does that work for you? You know, it's funny. I, I am, 
I get this question, this like basically this exact question. No, you know, no discredit to you or anything like that. But I get the question of how is it working with Lucasfilm more than any question about the stories that I actually write for them. Um, and I think people are <laughs> fascinated by it, which I understand. I mean, the the Star Wars stories and the Star Wars galaxy is this this mythology that is that has re- replaced many mythologies that you know were, were prominent for centuries and, and millennia before that. Like Star Wars is the modern myth that we've all kind of latched onto. So I get it. Everyone wants to know how is it. You know, how are we making the new the new stories that relate to all these things that we've cared about for, for 30, 40 years? So, but to answer the question you actually asked, uh, it, it's really, it's not as intense as, as people seem to think it is. You know, Lucasfilm hires people, whether it's writers, artists, storytellers of all different types, to that they think can do the job. And so you, you, you know, you don't get hired. I don't want to, I don't want to make a blanket statement, but generally speaking, I'll say you don't get hired unless they think you understand Star Wars to a very significant degree. And so the conversations you tend to have a story group are not, um, like, you know, them dictating to you what the story should be or telling you about Star Wars because everybody who's on those calls already knows about Star Wars. So it's more like, um, all right, well, we're thinking about telling a story with, uh, let's see, Aura Singh, set uh in the episode two timeline and i purposely made up something they're absolutely never going to do so (laughs) yeah whatever so 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 then it's like okay so so you think of what aura singh might have been up to around attack of the clones and then you you give them uh your set of ideas and then they they're like well you know aura singh uh it turns out she was actually married in this other storyline that you don't know about yet so maybe you want to take that into account in your storytelling so their job is really to um, have have a ten thousand foot view of the entire Star Wars universe, and and make sure that whatever story you're going to tell fits into that in some way that is organic and feels feels good. But they don't ever really like they don't if if an idea is good and feels Star Warsy and and will fit, they're not going to step on it. I mean that's that's really not not what they do. So the 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 vast majority of the storytelling, the vast majority of the ideas come from the creators themselves. Uh, and then, you know, it just sort of, uh, just sort of evolves from there. It's, it's a really fun process. They're great. I love the story group and, uh, you know, I love writing the star Wars stories and people seem to like them. So it's great. The, I guess the big question here is, will you get to see the last Jedi early? Um, I don't know. I know, I know a fair amount about the last Jedi. Um, but you know, I, I got to see episode seven early because I was working on the Poe Dameron project. Mm-hmm. But honestly, it's really not that far until Last Jedi is out. Um, so I think I think I might be seeing it at some like like a little early, like a week or so early. But I don't know if I'll get to see it super early. I, not that many people I know have. I like I don't think it's I don't think it's in a form that people can see yet, really. But I'm just kind of you know, speculating. I don't. Right, I mean, yeah. you know, I know a little bit more than you guys do, but they really keep they keep their secrets pretty close to the chest. They really do. Yeah, I would imagine so. Um, and then I guess just to, to wrap things up on, on, on the, uh, the DC front here, if you eventually one day, you know, go back to DC, is there a character, a team, a book you'd really like to work on? Well, that's first of all, assuming that, that DC would be willing to, to have me write any of their characters again, which is a big assumption. I don't know. <laughs> We'd have to see. Uh, but you know, I, I like, I like Superman a lot. Um, I've always liked, uh, Armin, which I know is a weird character that people don't don't really care about that much, um, but I've always thought he was super cool, and I think he's somebody that you could probably do some really interesting stories with. Uh, so those those probably would be the, the two that occurred to you right off the bat.
Uh, I invoked the name of Alex Jones and ruined everything. 